0: Our reading is from uh, Colossians on page 955, but uh, just before we begin, I'll just say a short prayer. Father God, thank you for the richness of the blessings we receive through the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the joy we feel also in celebrating his birth in Bethlehem. Thanks also for the opportunity to hear your word and for the inspiration it provides to us. We also pray that you'll guide David today during his sermon. Amen. So. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to carry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving, Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, let's, let's pray, shall we? Father, you tell us that as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower, and bread for the eater. So your word, that goes from your mouth, it will not return to you empty, but will accomplish what you desire, and achieve the purposes for which you sent it. Father, we give you thanks for your word, that it achieves what you intend, and so we do pray that you would do that work in us this morning, that your word would not return empty. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God's word is always doing something to us. As uh, 2 Timothy 3 teaches us, it it teaches us, it rebukes us, it corrects and it trains us. Uh, God's word, it it challenges us, it it grows us. But it can also uh, rub us the wrong way, it can grate us, it can ruffle our feathers. But maybe we actually need that sometimes. And when it comes to a passage uh, like this that David are very uh, helpfully read for us this morning, it can really grate us and rub us the wrong way. And I reckon the reason is, is because when we think slaves, we typically think race-based slavery. You know the slavery from the 17th century? You know, you, you would have seen the awful pictures of, of people in, in chain gangs, usually people taken away from their homes in Africa, and brought to America and forced into hard labor, treated in awful, inhumane ways, raped, pillaged, becoming the property of of their master, lacking any legal rights. It was truly awful what happened. Awful. And so when we think slaves, we tend to think those kinds of slaves. But you see, when Paul wrote this letter in the 1st century, so not the 17th, but the 1st century, that wasn't the slavery that was in mind. You see, in the first century, slavery was everywhere. In fact, at the church at the time, Paul's writing his letter to the church, it was most likely two-thirds of the congregation. Two-thirds were most likely to be slaves. And so the word slave is, is another word you could use, is, is servants. And these would have been the kinds of people who who worked, uh, had a job, a full-time kind of job in the home, whether cooking or cleaning Doing maintenance around the house, farming, tutoring children. And so, while, and that's the kind of slavery that is on view. And so, while some masters could be considerate and, and thoughtful and kind to their slaves, others certainly weren't. But, but it's not those chain gang type uh, slavery that, that we think of. You see, the slaves here, they had the freedom to, to move around and to go places. You see, they could attend church if they so wished. And so, hence, Paul writes this letter uh, and expects that there will be slaves present because they had the freedom to, to gather with fellow believers. And so, while Paul doesn't reject the notion of slavery, he doesn't say, get rid of your slaves. If you're a slave, get up and go. No, no, he doesn't do that. But he also doesn't support slavery either. He doesn't say... if. Make sure you get a slave or, or whatever no, 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 he doesn't do that either. He's actually quite neutral about slaves. Maybe we would wish that he would say more about slavery, get rid of them, but but he actually doesn't do that, and maybe it's because it was part of the general makeup of of the time that slaves were part of part of the thing of the of the way things were back then and so what Paul does in in his rather neutral way is he just tells slaves and masters. Who are Christian to, to act and behave like Christian slaves and masters. Because when someone becomes a Christian, uh, who we are, our identity, that changes. And and where we're going, that changes too. So our identity that is now found in Christ. We have acknowledged our sin. We, we have put our trust in the Lord Jesus. We have salvation who we are, our identity, that has changed. And, and where we're going in life, that has changed too. We have life with Christ. We have the great hope of the resurrection. When, we, when he returns, we will return to glory with him. And so our identity as Christians has changed and where we're going has changed. But what we do, our jobs, our, identity, our, our roles, our status, well, that does not change. And so if we were slaves, servants, then, then we remain slaves and servants. If we were doctors, accountants, writers, lawyers, mar- uh, 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 married, uh, we remain doctors, lawyers, accountants, writers, married. And it makes sense, uh, if you put it like this, of someone who became a Christian whilst in prison. So, so you've got this person, they, they were put into prison, uh, but then they became to faith, they become regenerate. And, and how wonderful is that? So, so wonderful. We praise God that that has taken place. But now that they're Christians, it doesn't mean that they can just leave jail because now they're Christians. No, no, no. They, they, they remain there. Their, their, their role remains the same. They still need to do their time. They, they are just now regenerate. Uh, and it's the same when someone gets married. Uh, just because someone uh, gets married and then later becomes a Christian, that doesn't mean that they, oh, now I'm a Christian, I need to leave my my spouse. No, no, no. They are to remain married but the point is live differently now you are to live christ-centered lives with the mind set up on the things above and so as paul addresses the, the the slaves and the masters here he tells them to act christianly to to take off we've been thinking a lot about clothes taking off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes of christ that is how they are to to act and, and to work uh, as they live their lives when we come to a passage like this, we can really easily just think, oh yeah, of course, slaves, masters, oh that must just mean workers and and bosses. But but it's actually not that simple. Actually, there are are some people in whom this passage directly relates. Like the many people in this world who do work as servants, who work as home help. uh, This directly applies to them. Uh, I was speaking to, uh, like, our Singaporean brothers and sisters, many of whom have have returned back to Singapore for the holidays uh, in their break from their studies. But I asked one this week, uh, or last week, I asked, what percentage of your friends uh, who were in Australia, uh, who were Singaporean, would have home help back home, who would have had someone help them in their home uh, growing up? And they said 60%. 60%. and, And look, as an Aussie, I think, whoa, 60%, that sounds heaps. But that's just normal. That's just kind of the way things are in, in Singapore. Lots of people have home help. There, there are lots of people who, who work like this. In fact, lots of the missionaries, in fact, one of the missionaries we support, they too have home help uh, because it's part of the, the makeup of society where, where they serve. And without this work, well, many wouldn't have income and provision for their family. And so for, for those people in those situations, I think this passage directly relates to them, how you work, how you serve your master, and, and how you treat those uh, who, who, are your, um, who are your servants. But I reckon the principles of this passage, they can apply to us. Because just like the slaves and masters, our identity is not found in what we do. Our identity is found in Christ. And so like slaves and masters, we have a master in heaven in whom we serve. And so as we work, we work for the Lord. Well, we've been working our way through the book of Colossians, uh, this term, and we're nearly done. One more week, next week. Uh, And what we've seen is that as Christians, as believers, who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus, we have it all. People may tell us that we're missing out, but it is not true. We have it all. Uh, We have died with Christ and been raised with him. And because we have been raised with him uh, and we are seated with him in the heavens, we are to seek the things that are above uh, because that is where we are seated with Christ. Uh, And we do that by taking off the old self, putting on the new self in relationships, in relationships with one another, in our relationships in the church, uh, in the home, and and now in the workplace. You see, Paul has addressed the household, wives and husbands, children and parents and fathers, and now slaves and masters. And as Paul addresses the slaves, the servants, he He tells them that as Christians, they've been set free. They've been set free from the slavery of of sin and death into a new life, into salvation. And so now they serve their slaves of the Lord Jesus, Romans 6 tells us. And so now that they're free to serve the Lord, now they're free to serve the Lord in what they do day to day. They've been set free, verse 22 to obey their earthly masters uh, in everything. They are to obey their masters in everything. Verse 22, have a look there. Uh, And they're to do it not only when their eye is on you, and to curry their favor. You see, slaves obey their masters not only when you're being watched so that you look good or to... To curry their favour, that doesn't mean to make him a curry, like to butter him up with a butter chicken. No, 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 it's to not people-please. You know, working only when your boss or teacher's watching, but the second they kind of turn away, well, you just start mucking around. You check Facebook. You you don't do work. It's it's having the appearance of obedience, uh, appearing to look busy, but actually not doing the job or task you're required to do. Look, I remember what it was like at school. You know, the teacher would be writing up on the blackboard or whatever it's called today, but writing up on the blackboard, and and with their back to the students, we would run amok, throwing paper, spitballs, talking, whatever it was. We were just doing whatever we weren't meant to do. But as soon as the teacher turned around, well, we looked like the model students that we weren't. Uh, I remember we used to play this game called Space Invaders. Do you guys ever play this game? Basically, we had these individual tables, uh, so each student had their own table and chair, and we would kind of move around the classroom, kind of moving our chair and table, moving it around the place, whilst the teacher's writing on the board. And then as soon as they finished, turned around, we'd kind of just pretend we're kind of doing our work and stuff, but we'd just move around the class. Anyway, Paul says, Obey those in authority over you, Not only when they're looking and not to people please. And I think that's just so relevant for us today. You see, we're not to work with the external appearance of being good workers. Not just performing to attract attention from others. Working hard when the boss is on to us or when things are busy. But working the same regardless of, of where our boss's eyes are. And I think that'll mean that we're not lazy. Because laziness is really a form of theft. You you steal from your boss, you abandon your colleagues, you neglect your clients by sitting around and not doing what you're required to do, by just talking all day. You see, we're not to be lazy. And we're not to obey our bosses just to look good and to avoid punishment. We are to be consistent in the work we do. But I know, you might, you might be thinking, look, it's actually okay for me to, to work like this. I can be dishonest. I can be negligent, careless, lazy. Because really, my work is just meaningless anyway. Or we might think, actually, my boss is a tyrant. He's not very nice. He's abusive, unkind, unjust. He's demanding. He's always loading me with all this extra stuff, useless stuff. And so we might think, you know what, I can do whatever I want. Um, because we might think that not working and and working poorly is a kind of a way to get back, to get back at the boss who treats me like that. And so we might think, I can do whatever I want. Thank you very much. But Paul says not to work like that, not to work in a way to to please when, when your boss is watching or not. But we are told to work as if working for the Lord. And so regardless of the situation we're in, whether we have a nice, kind, good boss or a mean, awful, difficult boss, we are to remember that we work for the Lord. Look there at verse 22 again. Obey your master in everything with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters. And down to 24. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Uh, Four times in this very short passage, the word Lord is mentioned there. Uh, Four times. And we are to work as if working for the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 1. He is our master in heaven. We are to work sincerely, verse 22. Honestly, respectfully, of, of those we work with because we are working for the Lord with, with reverence, with fear of the Lord. Not just fear of what the boss will do to you but fear in the Lord knowing that God, he sees all. You see, we need to remember that we have two masters. We, we have our earthly master in the one that we see from day to day but we also have a heavenly master the one we don't see the one we're actually working for. And so to obey those God has placed in authority over us and to obey our bosses, even when they get us to do something we don't want to do, without grumbling and gossiping about it. And of course, if they ask you to sin, well, of course, we... We, we say, no, we can't do that. So if your boss wants you to lie or, or cheat or break the law, say, no, uh, they can't get us to do that. Even if it means we lose our job, then so be it. But that shouldn't happen often. And if it does, well, maybe you're in the wrong job. Um, uh, and so maybe start looking elsewhere. But, but I think we are told here to, to do and, and to obey those in authority over us. We are to be good workers, knowing that God sees all that we do. And while we might be tempted to do a good job only when our boss is watching, we've got to remember that God's watching all the time. He sees all that we do. And we need to work well, even if it's unappreciated. Even if our boss, our spouse, our teacher, our supervisor, they disapprove. When we work well and work hard, you see, God sees it and he appreciates the work we do for him. We're to give wholehearted service in the workplace, in all situations, whether good or bad, regardless of what our boss is like, because our work is for the Lord and how we work matters. It's kind of like Mary. Mary, she loves the Lord Jesus, and she seeks to serve her, serve uh, him, Jesus, in her workplace. She's a really hard worker. She she's, might not be the best worker in the office, but, but she's a hard worker. And she seeks to do the best that she can. And, and she's always trying to get better and improve. You see, Mary, she doesn't get caught up in the long gossip fuel conversations during work hours. She, she works hard and gets her work done on schedule. She's kind and, and thoughtful of others. Often, often helping others in, in, in their work. She, she wants to be a blessing to others. And, and when her boss treats her poorly and uh, in in and unfair, really, in heaping all this work on her just before she was about to leave, well, she just gets on with the work she's been given. And she doesn't badmouth her boss in gossip like others might do in that situation. And it's because of the way she works and the conversation she's intentionally had over lunch about Jesus that Mary's been able to explain to her colleagues uh, the way she works and why she does and proclaim Christ at the same time. And because of the way her life matches the the message she proclaims, it's really led a number of her colleagues to, to want to investigate Jesus further. They've been impressed by her attitude and work ethic and really want to investigate the Lord she serves further. How amazing is that? Brothers and sisters, we can't make Christ famous and look good if our attitude to work stinks, if our attitude to work is the same as everyone else. You see, we've got to work differently because we are working for the Lord. And so whether it's a big or small job, whether it's simple or complex, we are to do our work as in serving for the Lord. He's the one we serve. He's the And he's the best boss ever, isn't he? Perfectly just and fair. We want to work for him. And so if you're down to do a job, do, do the best you can. If it's chores around the house or, or study, give you your best. Or if you're Unemployed look hard for, for a job. if you're sick, rest well. That'll mean treating your customers fairly, not seeking to rip them off, being kind to your fellow workers, uh, helping them out when they need even if it means they get promoted. It's to be honest with your boss and not to claim hours you haven't worked. You see how we work it really matters. Where to obey those in authority over us, and we do it knowing that God has placed them in authority over us. But we are actually working for our master in heaven anyway. Well, when it comes to work today for us, um, if we find ourselves in a job we don't like, we get the uh, we've got a terrible boss, the worst of the worst. And despite trying to make it work, we we kind of have this flexibility and freedom uh, today to to leave. We have the freedom to to leave and find a new job if we need to. But see, when Paul wrote to slaves, they didn't have this luxury. And we too might feel bound to our work, especially if we're, say, bonded to a a scholarship and, and unable to buy ourselves out, or we're a student on a placement we can feel bound. And so, so what so as we work for the Lord, Paul reminds us that, that we work for him regardless of the situation, knowing verse twenty four, have a look there. You know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. You see, those who work for the Lord will receive an inheritance from the Lord. We first heard about this inheritance back in chapter one. Do you remember? the inheritance that is to come when when Jesus returns in glory, the inheritance for, for all of God's holy people, that is the resurrection, the new life, eternal life with Jesus. And so even if we are treated poorly by those in authority over us, we are underpaid, exploited, used, spat out. Paul reminds them that good will come. There is the great inheritance with all the saints, that great resurrection day, which we can look forward to, where we will be rewarded for our good work. And we have to remember, God knows the way that you have been treated, because he knows and he sees all. And we're given this great comfort and warning, a comfort and warning in verse 25. Have a look there. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. You see, God sees it all. He will repay wrongdoing. He won't show favoritism. All wrongdoing will be repaid. And I think it's a comfort and a warning because he knows when we do the wrong thing, when we are dodgy, when we cheat the system, when well, we're not working hard. But it is a great comfort too when, when, because he knows the way that we have been wronged, treated poorly, underpaid, whatever it might be, because our reward is in heaven. And because of that, we're able to put up with this treatment. I reckon what would have been really surprising to the people who received this letter Uh, uh, as the very first recipients, wouldn't have been the instruction to the slaves. I reckon it would have been the instruction to the masters. Because Paul doesn't just address the slaves, but he now turns to the masters, to to those among us who who lead and, and manage other people, to the bosses among us. And Paul wants them, he wants us to remember, particularly those in those leadership positions, that we too have a master in heaven and that we are accountable to him. Have a look there at chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. You see, masters are to be Christ-like. They are to seek the things that are above in how they treat slaves, staff, employees, those under them. And the reason, will they have a master in heaven. And how has God treated the bosses, the CEOs, the managers among us? Well, he has been gracious and kind and treated us fairly. And so that is how we are to treat those who are under us. And so as those who are accountable to the Lord, those in authority among us, we are to treat those under us fairly and right. Treat your staff in a godly manner. Be godly in the way you treat your staff. Be like Christ in the way he treats you. And so let me encourage you to seek to preserve preserve dignity, fairness and respect of those under you. Avoid treating people as disposable property. And so pay the staff the UO wages. Don't milk them for every penny. Don't overwork your staff and encourage workaholism. Look after them. Listen to them. Care for them. Be kind and, and praise your staff when they do good things. I heard this great story recently uh, about this guy who was so impressed with his Macca's coffee. I can tell you now this guy obviously wasn't from Melbourne, um, I can't think of many people who would be impressed. No, I'm kidding. But um anyway, he was so impressed with his Macca's coffee uh, and the service he'd received that he rang up. He rang up Macca's head office and told them and said, These staff have done an amazing job in making me this coffee today. Uh and the head office, they rang the the store managers and the store managers praised their staff, uh who the these particular staff who made this coffee and they were like, Oh man, whoa, this is amazing, whoa. And I think that story. Sh- they were so starved of being praised by their managers that they, they, they were so shocked by this, by this kind of happening. It's, it's sad to, to hear that, that there is starvation of, of people being praised and encouraged in the workplace. And so let me encourage you to, to, to do that. As Paul addresses the masters and, and, the, and the bosses, Paul demands of them what no slave or employee can claim. Paul says, treat your staff well. Look after them, because you are accountable to God. And just like we saw in verse 25, he said, it is the one and only Lord who will judge and decide how well you have treated them, because no wrongdoing will be let slip. We are to do what is right and fair to those under us. Paul has addressed the the slaves and masters, but really um, the principles there are for us too as workers and bosses as well. And he reminds us that regardless of our station and our role in life, we serve the same Lord. We owe obedience to God the Father, our Master in heaven, and while our obedience to him will look different depending on, on what we do, we still obey those in authority over us, working as if working for the Lord, working for him. But that's really hard work. And so let's, um, let's ask God for his help now to, to do that. Let's pray. Father God, we give you great thanks for your your word to us. And what a great encouragement the book of, of Colossians has been uh, for us. And as it, it speaks on this uh, passage that doesn't necessarily directly apply to us, but the principles are very much true to us today. Father, we do pray, particularly for those of us who are, are workers, employees, that you would so help us to obey those in authority over us, uh, that we would not do it in just a way to, to look good and impressive and to just. Uh, to people please, but that we would be consistent in our work at all times, knowing that we serve you as we work, that we are working for the Lord. Father, we do pray that in the way that we work, that that might lead and that that, that our actions might match our words as we proclaim Christ, that as we speak about Christ and as people see the way that we work, that it might lead to further conversations that might lead others to want to investigate Jesus further. Father, please help us, because it is hard, to to work as he's working for you, and to remember that always. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.